You're listening to the Slow Ride podcast. Bites, advice, and rumors straight from the source. The Slow Ride and on Twitter at the Slow Ride Pod. Enjoy the ride. Hello and welcome to the Slow Ride Podcast. Bikes, <laughs> advice, and rumors straight from the source. Hey Tim, what number do you think it is? I believe we're on number 86 or 87. Yeah, that sounds good. 86. Yeah. So I'm Tim Hayes in Orlando, Florida. Oh, hi, I'm Matt in Minneapolis. And I am Spencer Howe in Boston, Massachusetts. And guys, what a wonderful day, a great uh, um, podcast on tap. I want to let you know that I did, in fact, order my titanium bike. Um, with a matching seat post stem and a painted to match fork, I am going to be a machine Ooh. out there. But I Wait, have so it. you're going to paint your carbon fork to look like titanium? Yeah, is that what you're supposed to do? Mm, Wait, no. what would you? What do you guys suggest? You paint the fork. It's like so if you're, you're, what color is your bike going to be? It's going to be raw titanium, right? Yeah. But they'll make your carbon fork pretend it's a titanium fork. Yeah, they paint it to match. I mean, it's, it's pretending. It's it's kind of just like uh, Tim's racing career. It's fine. <laughs> Are you those suggesting that I shouldn't get it painted? Well, I for me at least, you you paint the fork to match if it goes if the bike's painted sometimes, but if it's tie, I don't know. That seems weird, Spencer. What do you feel about that? I'm trying to think of tie bikes now that I've seen. I feel like the carbon fork should be should be raw carbon. Everything think, should be raw. I think knowing uh, Tim's style, I think this this makes perfect sense. Really? Oh, some like tribal prints on the fork or something? Yeah, you should maybe think about that. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't even uh, gotten to the real question. So my question, guys, is do I go with the classic Moots decals that are white, or do I go with the the decals that say Moots in black? Knowing that I got the Campy Chorus black um, brakes and like also the head wheels that are all oh. black, do I go with the, the all black decals or do I go with the white decals? Classic white. white. Classic white? white? Yeah. Right. It yep. looks so good. Why mess with that? That's what Sarah said. So without further ado, I think that we got to play our interview with uh, USA Cycling President Derek Bouchard-Hall that we um, we were honored to have uh, uh, the president sit down and talk with us. And we mm-hmm. discussed a lot of wide-ranging topics that affect all of our listeners from cyclocross streaming to podium bikes to, um, you know, racing in the era of uh, dopers, all from an Olympian and the guy that is in charge of saving – USA Cycling and making us less of a um, financial Shit strain. Show. So um, financial strain, yes. Is there yeah. anything else uh, you guys want to add to introduce uh, this wonderful episode that we're uh, we're proud of? Uh, no, I think we're good. I think we should roll it. All right. And with that, uh, without further ado, here is uh, Derek Bouchard Hall, the president of USA Cycling. All right. Well, we are here on the Slow Ride Podcast with the sitting USA Cycling president, Derek Bouchard Hall. And naturally, the most important question that we've had from all of our listeners is an official stance from USA Cycling on podium bikes. Um, so, Mr. President, should uh, racers be allowed to bring a bike to the podium with them as they collect their Masters 45-plus medal? So this is a big topic. Huh? I, didn't, I, was not, I was not aware of that. I've seen it. I mean, I, I, you know, part of my new uh, role, and by the way, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, Not so much after that question, though. No, it's a fair question. Uh, I mean, I've I've had the personal experience to deal with this because uh, uh, when I go to events like the national championships, I'm I'm often the one handing out the medals, which is a lot of fun. And uh, uh, we've had this, and every single time I've done this, people will come and bring their bike up with the absolute best of intentions, right? They they got a bike sponsor, and they want to reward that sponsor. The problem is you have the folks standing next to them who don't have the same bike sponsor and they have all the pictures being taken and they want to be able to share with their bike sponsor, but they can't promote the bike. Right. So uh, we have not allowed bikes and that is the that we we do not allow bikes to be brought up there simply because it's unfair to the other individuals. We do try, try to provide them an opportunity to have a picture with their bike elsewhere and we'll be happy to spend extra time to set that up. 
But in terms of being up there on the podium during the ceremony with the other athletes, I think it's I think it's not a good idea. It's poor form. Nobody intends it to be that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's all done with the best of intentions, but it's it's not it's it's not polite to your podium mates is, is what it is. And so we we've not allowed it. And I've never had anybody uh, do anything other than say, oh, OK, and then roll their bike away. This is uh, you can't see them on this Skype call, but those are tears of uh, joy coming out of that official stance. So so thank you. Um, and start. I'm thrilled. And now, now we'll get into like the actual nuts and bolts. So you're a former professional racer. I mean, the you know, the announcement that you were taking over uh, as president of USA Cycling, uh, my first uh, uh, news of it was from Adam Meyerson, uh, who tweeted that this is one of the greatest things of USA cycling because of your stance on anti-doping and other things. And you came up with, you know, Mercury race or you're on Mercury racing on your last season. And then that was also, I believe uh, like Tom Danielson's first year and kind of like you're in the right. midst of this um, time period of doping and you've been affected by it. And you've also been able to go to the Olympics. So can you talk a little bit about uh, how that's affected your racing career and then also is affecting your um, kind of your stance moving forward as USA cycling? Uh, president, right, with uh, the the increase of testing and the amateur level and all that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I was, I absolutely was living during the absolute worst period of it. In fact, I think that 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 period from '95 through 2002 will probably go down in history as the worst period because the the, the methods were were very well developed, but the testing was way way behind. Uh, and and we know that the prevalence of it in the European Pro Peloton was was extreme. Um, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was the majority. And the only debate is, you know, how strong was the majority? Was it 100 or was it, uh, or, you know, was it, was it 51? But it was clearly the majority. Um, I mean, fortunately, most of the time that I was in the sport, I was a domestic pro. And uh, I think it was, it was a largely clean peloton. I was actually quite disappointed to learn that it wasn't as clean as I thought when some of these things came out. Uh, around some of the athletes that I was competing against uh, was was news to me. It wasn't really shocking, but it was incredibly disappointing to, to know that I was facing it in the U.S. Pro Peloton. When I was racing in Europe, I, I knew what the, the story was. I mean, it was it was patently obvious uh, what was what was going on, and it was incredibly frustrating. Uh, and competing at the Olympics in Sydney was incredibly frustrating because because you knew that um, doping was widespread. Of course. You know, I say that, but you never really know. I mean, you see a lot of, uh, of of anecdotal evidence, sometimes direct evidence, but you never really know. But you know, your your reason and logic tells you it's widespread, and it meant that you know somebody like me, who was you know uh, barely able to get into that level, could not really participate in any meaningful way, and that was incredibly disappointing. And then there are a few instances where even things I really did care about, there was doping. You know, there there was events that I did know that there were athletes that would beat me one weekend, and then you know soon thereafter tested positive, and that was deeply, deeply painful uh, to, to experience that. Uh, and I saw teammates who I liked and really respected. You know, you mentioned Tom Danison, but Floyd Landis was somebody I knew well, and Tyler Hamilton is somebody that I knew well. And, and so to see the impacts had on them, guys who I considered to be really good guys. Uh, that was another element. So I felt personally cheated by it, but I also felt sympathy for the individuals who I thought were good guys and were pulled into something um, that was awful. And so it felt like, you know, they were perpetrators of injustice. They were also victims of it as well. Um, and so now where I am, I just I don't want anyone else to be in that same situation of being denied opportunity uh, by being clean, have to man. And, and also, I don't want to have, you know, our young athletes having to go into that realm and rather than cycling be what should be an incredibly positive experience in their lives and something they look back on fondly for the rest of their lives some people it's it's been devastating for them it's not a positive thing for them as a whole and they end up you know battling these demons for the rest of their lives and we don't want our athletes to have to go through that so you know for me it just i think it's something we have to take very very seriously any manager of the sport has to take it very very seriously and make a, a legitimate effort to combat it you have to be careful uh, of, of, of how much emphasis you put on it. You know, it's, it's been a huge part of the conversations I've started, and that makes me a little uncomfortable because I don't want our sport to be about doping. But I think it's very important that we as a federation, as USA Cycling, to take a very strong stance. I use the term cheating every chance I can get to make it clear that it is, it is cheating. Um, and nobody wants to be a cheater. 
Uh, in fact, part of the reason why doping was so rampant is people never really considered it to be cheating. It was so yeah, prevalent yeah. that they kind of felt like, well, this is the game being for me to play, so I have to do it. Now you want it to be out enough that everybody can consider it to be cheating, and that's powerful because nobody, uh, you know, the, the people that I knew that got involved in it, I don't think they wanted to be a cheater. They simply wanted to keep up. And now we feel as though it is it is not widespread. You don't have to do it to be a participant, and we can call it cheating. And mm -hmm. and most people don't want to be a cheater, so we use those terms very carefully. But I, I, I don't want to dominate the conversation about cycling, and it's also something that when we start to do it at the amateur level is something you got to be very careful about. People don't want to spend extra money on this in a sport that is already considered to have high federation. <laughs> Little guy, you uh, want to jump in on that one? Like we were talking about this last week about uh, the, the spending the extra money here on this. I think I yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. I I guess did, were you surprised that there was some pushback that or just people being upset no. about fees going no. up? Because I'm just surprised that it's fees all. would go up or that people would be mad about that when they're willing to spend you know ungodly amounts on like power meters and other useless <laughs> things. But like five dollars for testing to me seems reasonable, especially when you're outlining where it's going. Yeah. But, well, I mean, I, I absolutely expected some negative feedback on it. Uh, every time we raise any fee, uh, it gets negative feedback. And, and so we, we absolutely expected that. Um, How frustrating and, is that, though? Like, right? Cause, I mean, it's really uh, not, not that. I mean, that's a legitimate. I mean, it's a legitimate uh, opinion. It's it's um, I mean, there's another issue about just the fees. Uh, people are also concerned about uh, could you have amateur riders getting caught up in the dragnet because they took Sudafed the night before by accident mm -hmm. or because somebody was prescribed testosterone uh, for, for legitimate medical needs or because uh, they were smoking dope um, uh, the night before. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and we absolutely don't want that. But, uh, you know, you saw to knows that testing amateurs is different than testing elite. And there are protocols that are different. Uh, the, the limits of things they're looking for are different. The way they treat athletes when they're caught is different. There are a number of mechanisms where USADA knows that they can handle amateur athletes differently, uh, and and there are different standards applied. And okay. people are concerned about that, and that's completely legitimate, and I expected that. And it's extra money out of people, and that's frustrating. I expected that. But, you know, before I started this, I asked people to send me emails and provide me their feedback. And by far, the number one source of feedback I got was people saying, in the amateur racing in America, it is a free-for-all. You can do everything and anything, and, and I do not believe that you know, the people I'm racing against are clean, and it's frustrating, and you guys need to do something about it. And I agreed. I think if you have an environment where there is no threat of testing, is a bad place for our sport to be. And I think we have to be very careful about how much we do put in. Uh, and be very thoughtful about doing no more testing than is required to, to create a credible threat. But the free-for-all is, is not good for our sport, and we were absolutely committed to seeing what can we do to not create the atmosphere that you can do whatever you want with impunity. Yeah. So, so USA Cycling, uh, you know, you're raising the fees. Um, you know, you're, you're cutting some fees in some places. You're raising it in others. I think a lot of the confusion that people have and a lot of the questions come up um, because people don't even know exactly what USA Cycling is or does yeah. like is uh, it an insurance provider is it a promotion company is it a giant ponzi scheme you know what i mean like uh <laughs> yeah um so that's you know that's part of what you have to go up against um but uh but yeah i'm i'm you know back to your history you know i'm i'm not a princeton uh, yale and harvard business school grad but uh losing a million bucks in a year seems like kind of a lot like not a good thing um, yeah what are you you know is this is this going to write the ship or what uh no it's it, you know it's, it's not a good thing uh but it's not it's not a terrible thing uh it, it, the sky is not falling it's not it's not a, a catastrophe at all um and this is not uncommon for organizations particularly nonprofits, which is uh uh, is basically operating in a net even amount typically where you know what your expenses are matching your revenue and so if you have an unexpected swing in revenue you go into the the loss realm very quickly uh, but it is it is a big loss for us and it's a big for us historically because what we have had uh, for a long period of time was a uh, constant revenue growth uh, by a constant membership growth just every year 
of just more people coming in, more people coming in, more people coming in, more races, more revenue, more than and than forecast. And uh, there was a bit of money left over, and the organization was able to build up um, a uh, a nice balance sheet, um, mm-hmm. uh, not not at all excessive, but we're we're talking about ten million dollars uh, on a balance sheet, um, which is uh, which is a very very important thing for an organization like this. And that you know at our we have a fifteen million dollar expense run rate, so that amount of revenue is not even a year's worth of, of expenses, uh, that, that balance sheet. And so it's not, it's not an unreasonable amount, but it is a big number. But because of that, it means that we can handle these downturns. And in fact, you know, the, the, the board and the financial management uh, didn't know that would be the case. And we could have cut costs like crazy and raised fees to write it, but rather they, they rather uh, uh, logically said, well, well, we'll take the hit on the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. We do know we need to get it going. You can't do this indefinitely. You can't lose a million yeah. bucks indefinitely. Um, so is it uh... Was it gravel racing then? Is it is it the discovery of the gravel road that that really put the ding in that budget, or was it fat bikes? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think a few things have happened. One is you know the entire industry is not benefiting from the uh, level of growth it had up through 2012, and uh, what's driving the, the 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 plateauing. It's still growing nicely, but it's not it's not the heavy numbers that it was in the past, where you could rely on selling 10 percent more bikes one year than the next it plateaued after 2012 part of it was lance absolutely part of it was just perhaps the saturation of the uh of the middle-aged male of taking up the sport mm-hmm. but our growth plateaued and then we hit other things like uh you know grand fondos and gravel grinders taking away some of usa cycling share so if you were sanctioned events strava mm-hmm. is is getting a lot of people are using that to get their competitive fix rather than through cycling uh, I think USA Cycling's reputation has not been strong. Uh, that might be an understatement, and and that has caused people to say, you know, I don't want to be part of this. That is not uh, has not helped. Uh, rising insurance costs. It just it's costing us a heck of a lot of more to insurance to insure these events, and so we raise fees, and that gets people frustrated. So, mm-hmm. all of these things together meant that we're actually seeing this year a fall, very small decline but a, a fall in membership for the first time in a decade uh we're starting to see membership fall off just a little bit but um race sanctioning a bit more and racer days the amount of people are racing within usa cycling uh has fallen quite quite strongly and that's because people are are, are they're still taking out licenses we still have people doing it yeah. but they're racing with us less because they're picking up other avenues and that yeah. combination is led to our revenue shortfall. And, and cycling's cycling's a pretty you know expensive sport already. You know it takes a lot of a lot more than like taking up running. You know where you buy a pair of shoes and you're good to go. Cycling, yeah. you know, you got to buy a bike, you got to buy a kit, a helmet, shoes, all these things. And you know, uh, um, despite you know your best efforts at, at Wiggle to get bikes out there to the masses at, at below cost <laughs> prices, um, you know people still struggle to afford racing um so i think you know they're they're definitely not stoked on the raising costs the raising licenses um you know and uh i mean i've seen would you agree that the costs you know that that people spend on entry fees and uh and and on their annual license is, is actually a relatively small portion of the overall cost of being a competitive bike racer i uh i do think so yeah in the at the end of the day, you know, people spend three or four thousand dollars on a bike uh, without thinking about it, and then gripe that an entry fee is thirty-five dollars rather than thirty. This is Eric Saunders. You're listening to the Slow Vibe Podcast. Ain't no rookies in here. Derek, you, you've touched on it too, is the gravel grinder and the fat bikes and all that. And we did see, you know, USA Cycling go with the um, fat bike national championship last year. Mm-hmm. So I do have a question uh, for you. Will the sitting president um, of USA Cycling con- continue the tradition of being a national champion at the <laughs> fat bike national championships? Because you do have quite the uh, closet full of national championship jerseys and the people want to know, are you going to be out there in the uh, Fat Bike National Championships this year? Yeah. Is that the one you know, that I, got away? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know, but I think if I did it, I don't think I could win. I mean, you referenced this in your podcast on this, which is that it's getting more competitive, is it? We would expect more people to participate 
And it won't be that hard for somebody to come out and be faster than me in that. So uh, I think it requires two things. I need to get there and participate. And I actually have to be faster than everybody else. And I, see, I think it's a good chance I'll participate. I'm not very optimistic I'd be faster than everybody else. See, but this is when the power of being the president comes in awfully handy. Like you could you could be doing like executive orders like, hey, you can't have bar ends or like you got to have a certain uh, you know, tire width. And, yes. it, and you could really get that field down to one or two people. Well, you know, and one of the things that one of my aspirations uh, is is to combat these sort of traditional views that people have of USA Cycling, uh, that, that somebody would do something like that. So I'm absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, not. Well, that's a good thing. Okay. Well, as long and as we're, we're out there. You, I mean, we're, you know, I, all these, you know, all the, all the jokes people have about USA Cycling, every single person in our organization knows all of the jokes. We can, we can, and we can give you the punchlines on most of the USA oh, Cycling jokes already. And so we... We're not, we we're not happy about it, and where it's true, where those jokes are true, we're, we're trying to, to change those things, and where they're incorrect, we're trying to change perceptions. So, so do other people in the building listen to the podcast? This is, this is a terrifying <laughs> question. I hope not. <laughs> almost, almost certainly. Almost. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. So um, do you uh, you're over 35 now, so this is like a question. I, I'm turning racing age 35, and of course, being a cyclist, we all like refer to ourselves in our racing age when people ask how old you are. You're like, oh, my racing age is 35. So I had to go get a titanium bike um, to, to meet that requirement. Do you have a titanium bike yourself? I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> and uh, is that got a- from my old racing bikes? I've got an old. Ah. Uh, Lamond. Uh, oh, in fact, nice. it was the bike I raced Perry Roubaix on. I still have it. I've kept it. Cool. And uh, I bust it out uh, every now and again just for just for fun. But yes, I do own a metal bicycle. <laughs> All right, good. And then, that's good to hear. And uh, another kind of rapid fire question: uh, Will we be seeing a USA Cycling sanctioned gravel national championships anytime soon? We have that no. bike. No. No, not 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 anytime soon. Is that something we can do in the future? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's you know you want these events to be competitively uh, legitimate. Uh, you know, we can think about that. And, and, you know, one of the things, a more maybe relevant question is, would there be a Grand Fondo National Championship? Uh, and that's, I don't that's even know what that means. Well, <laughs> yeah, we're not sure either. I mean, these are immensely competitive <laughs> events. And there, there's some people yeah. refer to that genre as non-competitive. It's clearly a misnomer. These are competitive events. Oh. Um, and I, that's something we're, we're considering, but it's, there's nothing on the, on the horizon. We, we absolutely do. I'll just, you know, we, we do want to be. Uh, have greater involvement in those non-traditional racing formats. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, um, it, it's, the market is moving that way. Some of the challenges we're facing is that people are moving that way, and we'd like to have a positive force on it, not, you know, to, uh, you know, not, not to, not to regulate uh, these events uh, and put restrictions on, but to, uh, but to have some ability to participate in them uh, and, and guide them in a positive way and an avenue to get more people uh, into the sport of competitive cycling. I was, but, so I was down in Miami at the uh, Miami Grand Fondo, and Stuart Lamp, the uh, Southeast director, was there. Yeah. And I asked him about USA Cycling's presence there, and you know the, the answer you know, it wasn't to be the fun police, right? It was really to, you know, you have these big cycling events on the roads, and the, the need for insurance is there, but then also to make it as legitimate um, as possible from, you know, not just a testing standpoint, but also from a, um, a safety, right? Like if you're running these events that don't have insurance, it ends up increasing the cost to promoters and different avenues. So, um, yeah, I do, I do think that that is an avenue of growth with USA Cycling, and I, and I like that. And we've seen that with some of your, uh, you know, the license um, – opportunities for like those non-competitive riders or whatever they want to call them and so that is a, a success uh and i am pretty uh pretty excited about that so good work there and on Thank podium you. bike so <laughs> i i would vote for you like three or four times so far <laughs> i i think we're all uh very in favor of the uh the lowering of the one day license fee that yeah that uh that is a huge step in the right direction in in my opinion um ten dollars you know it's still steep, but it seems like reasonable, um, and it gives people, uh, you know, more incentive to to try it out once or twice before they jump off the deep end and buy a license. Uh, whereas fifteen just seemed uh, to make a one day event, you know, kind of inaccessible. Or 
It does. Um, I mean, you add that on top of the entry fee and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at a number to try it out that is that it's very high. I mean, yeah, it's uh, yeah, uh, yeah. we worked very hard to, to do that. It's uh, it's quite expensive uh, potentially for us to do that. A lot depends on, uh, uh, on on how, you know, the impact it has on annual licenses um, and, and, and whether people stop taking out annual licenses in order to to just do the one day. That's the that is a big concern. Mm -hmm. uh, but. Uh, you know, we set out a, some some list of objectives. You know, when we were trying to adjust fees, like what are we trying to accomplish here uh, with with the fees adjustments? And uh, there's a lot, and sometimes they were competing. Like one is, well, we need to have a we need to start making a dent into our operating loss. We're still going to be operating a significant loss next year, but we needed to start moving in the right direction. Um, but then one of the core things was reducing barriers to entry. How do we make mm -hmm. it getting people into the sport as cheap as as reasonable? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that we felt the one day one was was crucial. Yeah. So we kind of that was one of the first things we did, and then and then try to balance it from there. Yeah, Any, anything that makes it easier is is positive. I mean, uh, we got a message uh, earlier this week from from Adam Myerson who we mentioned earlier. Uh, uh, at, he wanted to know if you remembered him sleeping on your floor uh, in Princeton on his way to uh, some races. So you know that's that's like the level people are at. You know, they, they need to <laughs> save money where they can. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, sleeping uh, on floors in in my day. I, I do remember. I do remember Adam sleeping on my floor. <laughs> sure That's good. We'll pass that along for sure. <laughs> um, what well, I was going to ask, what I know you talked a little bit about wanting to like increase funding for at the elite level, like for national teams and and Olympics and stuff. Or at least I think I heard that in a previous interview you did. How how does that look? I guess because we we got a question from one of our like listeners asking like. You know how come uh, national teams like you make the cyclocross world's team? You know you have to pay for your travel and things like that. Like how do you pay for how do you kids. want to fund those things? How do you want saw, that to work? Yeah, I mean I saw on Twitter somebody cynically asked me if I have to pay for my own kit, my own, uh, <laughs> my own uh, and uh, yeah. So I I know. Um, but yeah, I mean we've got you know we support uh, over three hundred uh, athletes across all of our disciplines, juniors, um, uh, and, uh, you know, U23s and, and elites, uh, to compete at, 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 at the elite level. Um, and, uh, and our, our current spending level is in the last few years has been between about 3.8 and four and a half million dollars. So that's, you know, we got called $4 million is what we have to spend on all of those athletes. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, it's really expensive. Uh, to, uh, to to send athletes all over the world uh, and to pay for coaches and, and do what we do and we, we we do it on a shoestring budget I mean four million is is uh, is not even close to what you would want to do I mean you know to compare it the, the the sky team is probably operating on ten times larger than that our peers NGBs and other countries are are two to three times that level uh, and that's just a reality we have no government funding whatsoever uh, to support us the way all the other countries do we do it through um, the USOC gives us a lot of uh, funding. Uh, they're focused on Olympic medals. We have a foundation of wealthy donors that support the sport. Uh, we do receive some sponsorship money, uh, and that's uh, that's all that we have. The rest is uh, is from our uh, general operations of the membership, and so we have very limited funds. And it's just it's really hard to support all of those teams, and um, uh, and and we absolutely do not support them at the level that we would like to. Absolutely not and you know in fact i i asked our athletics director how much money would it take to have sort of the base level of support we're not talking about you know really putting the foot on the gas and really having an impressive development program so bare minimum the budget comes out to six so we're only at two-thirds of what we need to run it the way we want and so that ends up happening is you know we have a choice to make do we ask our membership to spend more money to pay the plane tickets to people who attend cyclocross worlds or do we ask the participants to pay the money uh and the trade-off we're making now in some cases is the participants and it's yeah. you know by discipline but that's that's where it is um, and you have i mean that's a incredibly you, for me disappointing for me to have to oh, do that wow. i mean it's, it's a i consider that to be a failure of our organization to to have to do that but um it's where we are we did see the, um, you know, the announcement of the bubble over the uh, velodrome at the Olympic Training Center, and I know that track racing is uh, dear to you. 
And a lot of folks, even on the road scene, you know, they completely forget about the whole BMX side of things, um, that USA Cycling is in charge of that now, uh, being an Olympic sport. And, uh, you know, that is a governing body. Do you, like, for your time, like, that you spend on, like, an average day or, you know, when you're going out doing the sponsorship, you know, it, it's obviously, you know, road is still the biggest portion of your time? Or do you, like, try to go, uh, you know, you know, quarter it up uh, as evenly as possible, maybe tracks a little bit smaller just because of, like, uh, marketing budget or whatnot? But, you know, how much time do you spend with mountain biking and uh, uh, BMX and track versus road? Well, I don't, I don't know that there's very much time I spend – uh, on any discipline specifically, most of the stuff I do is more uh, across the entire organization. Um, but a good question to ask is sort of a, 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 a corollary to that is how much resources USA okay. Cycling are applying to various disciplines. Thanks for doing uh, my job. I like it. <laughs> You're good at this. <laughs> and and, uh, and there's no doubt that we've been a road centric uh, organization. Uh, I think we've you know tried to uh, make steps. You know we have coaches across all of the disciplines and the elite side. But one of my observations is within our organization on the amateur side, we, more people tend to be roadies, and we don't have a lot of mountain biking uh, insight within our organization. Um, more so cyclocross, uh, not much track at all, and BMX non-existent because our BMX, the, the amateur side of the sport, is run entirely outside of USA Cycling. Uh, there's a separate organization called USA BMX that, that okay. runs the sport. We just do the elite, and so that's appropriate. But the biggest gap in our organization is mountain bike, no doubt about it. Um, and, uh, and we don't have the, uh, the proper uh, resource to really support that sport and something that we uh, would like to, to improve because it's not – you know, you know our, our whole relationship with the mountain biking side, you know, as difficult it is on the road side, it's much worse on the, on the mountain bike side. We just have much, we, we, we struggle much more. There's a big culture and, uh, and, and I'm not sure what the solution is, but at least it's a, it's a problem we understand. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, that's just, that's the long history of the sport it's been very focused on the, on the road side. As president of USA Cycling, do you ever illegally stream cyclocross races from, Europe because you cannot find any coverage of cyclocross races here in the United States. <laughs> Can you answer that? Cause it is the most frustrating thing and we must do yeah. something about it. I'm trying to watch Jeremy powers and the rights are owned by a uh, television network that doesn't even exist anymore. So what can we do about this? <laughs> I don't know, but it is, uh, it, it is lousy, uh, that that is the case. Um, I, I have the fortune that, uh, my family is still back in London, and so I go back there uh, with some regularity, and uh, and then I have less of the problem. And I also can hop on the the channel and uh, and get over to uh, to Brussels in two hours and, and, and go watch races live. But um, yeah, that is you know the the, the absence of TV is uh, is a is a big problem, not just in cyclocross, uh, but across the entire sport. It is uh, it is a problem, but. Um, it's, it's, you know, these are commercial decisions made by the television networks of the amount of viewership and, um, and, and right now it's not great enough to, to justify the expenses uh, of, of doing it, which is incredibly disappointing. So I share your frustration. Can, uh, can we raise okay. license fees, $5 yeah. per rider, and then use that to buy the rights so then you can put them on your YouTube enough. channel? Cause that would be totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd pay for that. Uh, you lost me at raise fees. So you know, I heard that. Yeah. Just bring it up at the next meeting listening. for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, have, I have a follow-up then just because you said, you, you know, yet you spend time in, in the U.K. You still spend time in the U.K. Uh, coffee man or a tea man? Coffee. Ah, oh, darn. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I do drink some tea, but, you know, milk only goes in coffee. It doesn't belong in tea. I have not, not adopted that British uh, habit. Yeah. I've, okay. I've adopted many British habits, but uh, <laughs> so many we got British a uh, habits. So we we're going to see like uh, hill climb national championships and things like <laughs> uh, this. That'd be great. I would love that. Much more time trials, yeah. colored socks. Uh, yeah. Yes, all of those things. Okay, good, good. good. We we did have one listener question that uh, you know th this was a personal plea um, from a racer, <laughs> a cyclocross racer in Washington D.C. His name's Kevin Hayes. And he has multiple top tens in category three, four cross races. Um, oftentimes finishing in third place where the top uh, two positions are won by juniors, like just really good juniors that have no reason to upgrade. So he just wants to know, uh, uh, will the president of USA Cycling grant him an upgrade because he feels that 
the system is just not working because the points are not going deep enough in cyclocross. And with these combined fields, you know, only five are getting points in a field of 50 deep. And then there's, you know, so now he's getting called a sandbagger and he's trying to upgrade and he can't because it keeps getting denied. Yeah. Can you authorize uh, it? It would not be for me to do. That's not oh. my role. There's other people <laughs> that would do it. I mean, I can say that, I mean, this is indicative of <laughs> like these core membership issues that people get very frustrated about because I, you know, not knowing the specific circumstances, it's very, you know, that experience is, has a huge impact on, on what that individual thinks of USA Cycling and to feel yeah, like, hey, yeah. this is a, an unfair rule. This is not right. They should be able to get it fixed. And why can't USA Cycling sort it out? Uh, and uh, and it's just something that we want to put more resource towards. Uh, it's one thing that we have done. And we, we, our technical department, which which was previously uh, you know, one person with a little bit of help, we are now going to two full-time people. And we have a great person in there. This guy, Chuck Hodge. And part of that is because we want to get better at dealing with issues like this. So if I got an email on this, I would send that to Chuck Hodge and he would he would think about what's the what's the appropriate solution. But we're, we're trying to do that, to have more resource in the organization to deal with what I call core membership concerns because that that drives the person's personal experience. Uh, and it's very hard for our organization that is, you know, doesn't have a lot of people here yeah. and and, um, uh, and we have 70,000 members and so that's 70,000 different concerns and um, it, it's really hard to keep up on those things. But um, most of them are about upgrades. <laughs> there are a lot of upgrade issues. We don't we tend not to handle them. It's the local associations, at least in road and cyclocross mm -hmm. and track that are handling the the upgrades, so it's the it's the LA reps. Uh, but um, uh, we, we, in terms of policy, we are involved in that, and I'm you know, we've struggled to so, deal with so, all of those issues. So no presidential pardon like the like the Thanksgiving turkey is uh, okay. what you're saying. <clears throat> Unfortunately, not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that powerful. I defer right. to people who are specialists so, on this. Sorry, you're, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. You're a jet setter, right? Your family, cosmopolitan guy, family still in London. I mean, you've been all over the world. You've you've raced the Olympics, Sydney. Um, you've seen some amazing cities and uh, lots of great bike races. So is, in, in your opinion, is Iowa City, Iowa ready to host the world at a World Cup race for, you, for cyclocross? Oh sure, I think the city could do it for sure. I mean, have you been to these Belgian towns that uh, that that run these amazing uh, cyclocross races? It's not the it's not the size and scope of the town that matters. It has to do with uh, you know the passionate group that's running the event, and uh, and if they you know are, are passionate about it and uh, and get some community support in terms of funding, uh, absolutely positively, Iowa City could have a an incredible World Cup. That is a good. Um... Uh, form of endorsement and we're big fans of jingle cross we've been going for years um we and we've been to iowa city and if that is what belgium is like um being from minnesota <laughs> i'm not very excited to go to belgium at any point but uh, i am excited <laughs> to see the cross world cup there uh i, I, I the really venue. like iowa city man if if belgium has the I like co-ops belgium. of that quality i'm all into it best co-ops around we had some uh some questions about the the NCC and NRC merger and people getting bent about that. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's a tough seemed like, yeah, it seemed like the NCC had uh, a lot of good things going for it with the live streaming and, and all that. And, uh, kind of had created a series and NRC was going maybe the way of the Dodo a little bit. And, uh, you're just trying to breathe life into one or the other, or, uh, is this just a cost saving measure or what's going on here? No, it's not. It's not. It's not cost saving. You don't have to get into the this, weeds either. You can just. Yeah, I mean, this this was recommended by our sports committees uh, to do this and the race directors. And there was a lot of uh, it was surprisingly, uh, surprisingly strong consensus on doing it. Uh, just we're struggling with those national calendars to have them mean something and then provide value to the race promoters. Uh, and with the with the NCC and RC separated. Uh, it, it, it seemed like neither series was really doing very well. Uh, and, you know, the objective of a series is, is try to have something that, that gets a bit of traction, uh, that, that those that are a member of that series, it brings them something in terms of attention and recognition uh, and sponsorship, et cetera. And it just wasn't working in the previous combination. It was better before it was split. Um, it does come with trade-offs, but, but that was the intention is to get something that gets a more unified series that means something. Okay. We're going to be able to see something similar series-wise uh, with uh, with cyclocross as well, because that Pro CX calendar is you know sixty races long and kind of watered down as well. 
Yeah, it's a similar problem. I think we're 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 not happy with with uh, with that uh, situation as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's something that we're we're working on on both sides. Um, it, it it is hard to create a unified calendar that brings value to the events. Uh, and and some of the things that we could do to do it would just make us you know more bureaucratic and more restrictive and who gets in who doesn't and that kind of stuff. The way to fix the ProCX calendar, for instance, would be uh, that the solutions um, don't don't seem all that great uh, that we had available. So I don't I don't think we're at a, a good solution on those yet. Uh, but we're trying not we're not trying to have USA Cycling you know come up with a solution here. We're trying to work with the sports committees and the race directors uh, to, to find a, a way to improve the value of these things. So we've got um, a couple of just quick rapid fire questions, and then we'll wrap up the uh, interview because I know you have to go do more important things. But um, uh-huh. uh, just say, so you know, who do you think uh, from the U.S. will be the next uh, Tour de France winner? Like, who do you see, like, as a as a fan yourself? Like, who do you who do you think that's going to be? Do we know him yet, or is it going to be? Well, someone else? I mean, you know, well, I mean, the, could T.J. Van Garderen win the Tour? Yeah, under the right circumstances, I think he could. You know, he's he is he, he seems to distinguish himself as uh, as as our absolute best uh, Grand Tour stage uh, race uh, rider. So. If you were going to bet on anybody to be the next one, clearly you would yeah. be the odds-on I'm a big fan of Talansky, so that's the you know I, I like TJ, but I want Talansky to be the guy. Other people, but I mean, you know, winning a Grand Tour is is an astonishing feat and not an, an easy mm-hmm. thing to do, and uh, it's more likely that the next Grand Tour winner comes from somebody you can't name, uh, mm-hmm. who's out there. It's it's a real phenomenal circumstance that comes out that somebody has that level. Of, of, of VO2 yeah. and natural yeah. ability yeah. and then finds the sport and then trains themselves and stays healthy and all those things to do it. It's a, it's an yeah. unbelievable confluence of events that leads to that. How and, important yeah. is it to USA cycling though? Like, like how much would that help USA cycling? Do you think like, is that a way out of the weeds a little bit to have that kind of success? Of course it helps. Of course it helps. I mean, the Tour de France is the single most uh, visible event there is in cycling and to have somebody who is successful there there is no other singular result which has a great impact on the, the, the mass public in, in bringing attention to the sport and getting kids to think, hey, that'd be a fun thing to try out. Uh, but it's not a magic bullet. And, uh, and, and, you know, look, I mean, our track record as a country in the Tour de France has been greater than any other country in the world over the last uh, two decades. It's been very, very helpful for the sport. You, you know, obviously, it's part of our challenges today uh, because of uh, uh, because of uh, um, you know the, the circumstance with Lance. But um, uh, it is incredibly helpful for the growth, but it's not essential. It's not the only. It's not the only means that that we have. Uh, sure. But it's great. Um, so then, uh, moving on from Tour de France to just races in general um, in the U.S. specifically. Do you have a, a favorite race venue? Because I know mine personally is is Philadelphia. Well, I mean, Philly was always my favorite race as a competitor. Uh, that was my favorite race of the year. I've always I've always said that. Manny um, you know, on Wall is just uh, is just a brilliant uh, format, and the way Philadelphia comes out as a city to support is is awesome. So I I love that one. But, you know, I think our, our three big races are all pretty special now, right? Tour of California, Tour of Utah, mm-hmm. the State Pro Challenge are all have incredibly dramatic courses, huge crowds, exciting. I, I love all of those. You're losing so, points but... with me. You <laughs> mentioned the Tour of California, and you don't mention the Athens Twilight Crit. By far, one of the coolest events in USA oh. Cycling. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I love those as well. I mean, I'm just, I'm stung a little bit. I, I, I had a chance to win the Athens Twilight Crit, and, uh, and, and I crashed in the final lap when I was the, probably the fastest sprinter of the small group that lapped the field, and I crashed. Oh. All right, oh. I, I understand why you're not listing it now. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's the, the second most bitter moment of my entire cycling uh, career was was that moment so. uh what's the first <laughs> uh our my, our ride at sydney was not uh, as successful as we had uh, hoped for that was the that was the most disappointing moment of my life but mm-hmm. now, I, I love athens twilight uh, i love all the american i mean i was an american bike racer so you know i i love the cats hill criterium uh in in norcal uh berkeley hills i mean these are these are all special wonderful events but uh for right now, you know, in the role that I have, it's, it's particularly fun to go to these huge races that have big turnout, um, fighting for our sport that we have some of those big yeah. events. 
No, but that's, that's understandable. I just... I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of the dinky little race with no crowds. My friend, Copperopolis, <laughs> or in California, if you know that one, there's no better course on the planet than Copperopolis. Uh, and, you know, there, if there's, uh, if there's a, a 400 participants, there's usually about four spectators. It's a, it's nice. a one day. One day. <laughs> that sounds like our experience. Yeah, it sounds, about right. it sounds like every cat four, five, three race oh. I've ever been in. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, and then uh, finally, uh, um, where, uh, what, what, what's next for you? When's the next uh, uh, Grand Fondo that you're going to be attending? Uh, when can we see you out on a bike? Yeah. Uh, out on a bike. I don't know. The next event I know I'm attending is Cyclocross Nationals. In uh, Asheville okay. at the Biltmore. Yeah. Are you yeah. going to the phone party? Uh, I'm not sure if that's on my schedule, but I've, <laughs> I'm told I'm doing the donut race. Which ah. I don't know what it is, but they sold me, me on it when they said that I actually do get to eat donuts in the donut race. So I'm in. All right, that's our so kind of donut. Donut national champion is next on the schedule for you. Huh? <laughs> well, great. Well, we uh, we appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing this, and then uh, you know, always feel free. We'll, we'll send you any type of uh, Twitter or uh, email questions and. Anything you want to tell the uh, members of USA Cycling and non-members of USA Cycling that are uh, listening right now, uh, feel free to. To, to speak to them directly. Well, only that I know. I appreciate this opportunity to be on your your podcast, and I I've, uh, I've I've listened to them, and I and I enjoy them quite a bit. Uh, and um, I mean, I, I think the, the the thing I'd like to say is, you know, USA Cycling is changing right now, and a lot of the stuff that we get, a lot of criticism we get, is is about what USA Cycling uh, has been, and not necessarily what it what it is or what it's becoming. Uh, and uh, there's a, an immense amount of change going on in the organization in terms of the, the people that we have here, uh, some of the policies that we're doing, things we're doing in the background that nobody will see for a year, like a whole IT revamp. Uh, and, you know, there's no magic bullet to change this organization overnight, uh, but there is a sensational amount of work going on to, to change it. And uh, I just hope that people who are particularly critical of the organization just consider uh, the the amount of change that's going on, uh, and 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 think about you know are they criticizing what what they understand USA Cycling has been in the past versus what it is today versus what we're trying to get to in the in the future? Because I get a lot of criticisms where I 100% agree with what people are saying. You're absolutely right, uh, and we're out trying to to make adjustments into what we're doing. Um, so give us give us a chance to see if we can live up to. Uh, being an organization that I think would greater meets the aspirations of, uh, of our community, which, um, I, you know, many segments of it feel, feel disappointed, um, in some cases wrongly, but in some cases rightly, and we're trying to fix those. So well, great. Nice. chance. Well, so, thanks so, again for your time yeah. and, uh, best of luck with your uh, tenure as president, hopefully a long one. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for, for having me on your show. Yeah, no worries. Of course. Anytime. So, guys, that was a great time of the leader of USA Cycling. And I have to admit, um, after sleeping on the interview for a while and seeing all of the different things that have happened since it's been a few days since we uh, talked to President uh, Bouchard Hall, um, I'm pretty excited about the future of USA Cycling. Uh, How about you guys? I'm pumped. Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty good. I'm just sad that we completely forgot to ask him if he waves to every cyclist that he passes. That may have, like, I lost sleep over that. Like, when we pointed <laughs> that out, like, as soon as we hung up and I was getting into the uh, the edit the editing suite, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, we didn't even get a soundbite. Like, we mm-hmm. didn't even get him to say, like, hey, this is president. Like, you should listen to the Slow Ride podcast because I'm the president and that's a direct order or something like that. That would have been good. Like, so what's the editing suite look like? I kind of always imagine you build like a little fort out of couch cushions. It's kind of sort of hide yourself in there when you do the editing. It is pretty much um, what I do. You know, the editing suite, and I think I've touched on it with you guys before, is I have this awesome kicker trainer that is oh, yeah. still in a box that's actually my desk. So you, oh, so you just... <laughs> it's beautiful. Hey, um, that's cool. I also regret that I didn't ask him if uh, Lance Armstrong reached out and gave him like a, you know... An internet high five, congratulations! Because I, I wonder, like, how because Lance has to see every single item like this as a like a possible political ploy, maybe like right, like you know, here he like maybe DBH can push his case to get Lance back in, or like some mm-hmm. kind of amnesty. 
And I was just kind of curious on that. Um, and he does. Yeah, but I don't want to like, talk the whole time about yeah. Lance because he did touch on it. Like it, Lance was good for the sport in the amount of growth that it brought in and publicity and getting everybody into USA Cycling. But it's also been bad for the sport because of the aftermath of, of the situation. And I thought that he yeah, did a good job. And, and because of, of everybody that he got into USA Cycling. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But anyway. All, all of you. Yeah. And, um, I, I agree with you that it does seem like Lance would use, I mean, just every situation as a way to, to, to weasel his way back in. So yeah. it he's seems like, like the any, any new of, uh, <laughs> of USA. Well, you, like you can't have you a think, conversation about it without talking about him. It's like the presidential election. Well, do you sure. think he's like the Pete, the Pete Rose of cycling? I mean, so like we're recording this and like today or yesterday, Pete Rose didn't get his, his, his chance again to be in the hall. Like uh, that's totally uh, ridiculous. Do you think that's all right? So we're, we're okay, you're coming down on the Pete Rose. I too too feel that way. It just feels like sort of the same feeling of like he's this Pete Rose is like the ghost of of, of baseball. He's there stalking it. You you everybody thinks of him as being one of the greatest, but he he's not like enshrined in it. And you get the same thing with Lance and and other dopers of like their their ghosts are always hanging over all these results but i and think they the officially pretend they didn't do anything good but they did at the same <laughs> the, time you know the crime little guy is way different no i know it's i know pete it's rose very did. different well i'm sure pete rose never used the substance <laughs> <laughs> no uh, no uh, um yeah anyway we're, we're kind of in the weeds here but let's get to we're the, the, the thing that has since come out in the three of us, we, we were talking about this earlier, is, of course, Molly Cameron, friend of the podcast and um, professional cyclocross racer out of uh, Oregon. Uh, she was recently told that she would be unable to race in the men's uh, Masters 40-plus race at the uh, national championship due to a uh, an arcane rule that the USA Cycling has that they decided to enforce um, mm-hmm. pretty much for the first time this year. Yeah, and, for how many years of... of, of- I mean... Molly has been racing racing. in the men's elite category for what, at least nine years, 10 years? I mean, for as long as I've been racing, yeah. Like, I met her at uh, uh, Jonathan Page's Sun Prairie before it was USGP cyclocross race in, I think, 08. And she was racing elite then, you know, so. At Old Man Page's. We had a Molly Cameron showdown. We had a Molly Cameron interview from that race on the original BikeThrow.com podcast. Not Bike Throw, Bike Throw, Bike Throw, Bike Throw. No, Just this is the, the, the very first. To, this is okay. Minnesota cycling news and gossip. So, that you know, Woof. Molly Cameron was very, very important um, to to us starting up as far as like a, someone that we followed and watched race, and yeah. now. It's one of these situations that uh, Derek Bouchard Hall was talking about being, you know, how everyone has a bad situation or a story that could be a negative USA Cycling experience. And it seems that they're at least trying to go after this uh, as upfront as possible. I mean, they they responded to the tweet. They said, we're looking into it. We'll address this immediately. Hopefully a way that all parties um, can be resolved. Yeah, and I mean, that uh, that right there kind of represents a sea change, at least uh, from from the past. So let's see if it goes somewhere, uh, but we can definitely be hopeful about it. All right. So other cycling news, Olag Tinkoff also meant, made mention that he will be leaving the sport of cycling at the end of 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, you think it's a bluff? No, I think that he has lost so much money with the, uh, with not cycling, but in his non cycling endeavor yeah. that he's probably needs to, you know, Tighten up the, uh, yeah, like tighten, tighten up the purse account. strings. Yeah, I think that's well, probably he, true too. I just think it's a pretty public. He's gonna lose money, and he probably like it's it's a really public way to lose money. I feel like he's gonna he's not gonna want to. Now you know what I, I just like? feel like he's like faking somehow. He's trying to get Reese interested <laughs> so he can like slowly bring the price up throughout sell the season, back. and then be and then at the end be like, nah, I don't want to sell it. Nice, yeah. nice. Well, you know what I like about this and about most of the other sponsorship loss uh, announcements we've had recently? Another really big one is uh, Rabobank leaving the women's side of the sport. Um, That's a bummer. That's a blow. But like Rafa uh, leaving Sky, everybody's announcing at least a year out or so instead of kind of waiting till like, I don't know, February of the season that's about to start and being like, nah, 
screw it, we're done, you know? And I'm sure, I'm sure the dry. new Europe car team will still go through their t- yeah. <laughs> their trouble about, like, July. Oh, man, we need they're, Volkler to be off the front French again. enough <laughs> that they like the tradition of waiting to the last minute to get everything done. They, they barely, even though they had the sponsor, they barely had enough money for like the bank guarantees and stuff. Yeah. I mean, they were yeah. they were com- they were so, already coming up short. But I, I, well, I appreciate wait. that we're not leaving athletes and, and team managers high and dry. Like they get a full year to try and find a yeah. replacement, which is going to be tough for them. That's not out of any sort of like like Charitable them wanting to do any charity. That's just like there's like a new. It's a new way to get more press. Yeah, a year out, but it's smart. Plus, plus. Like look at the look at the new sky kits. Like they used to not. Like Rafa's more prominent on them. Yeah. Like, they made the announcement, then they like they doubled down on the <laughs> on the logos in the last year. Yeah, well, they, they probably did. just had to like they probably booted up the price of the uh, Rafa kit for so long. Did, you're like, oh man, uh, last year the sponsorship. Uh, you have signed here a fifteen million dollar sponsorship. <laughs> oh, like, maybe they, it was like a balloon payment on a mortgage. It just goes up, and suddenly yeah, no. there's a huge payment to make it the last year. Well, that's the. Uh, I mean, that's what Inner Ring was arguing, right? On Twitter, was that maybe a lot of these guys are leaving because of the um, the new three year Pro Tour license agreement. Mm-hmm, yeah. That mm-hmm. so Olag, you know, he doesn't want to sign up for another three years through 2019. Like he'd rather just get out now, but. Yeah. I mean, anyways, it's a it's an exciting time to be a cycling fan, and uh, here in the U.S., I think that things are in the right direction. I think we're all in agreement um, after that interview that I am personally a big fan of DBH. I think he's the perfect uh, perfect uh, person to lead us through to the promised land of hopefully more riders, better races, and as a um, no longer being a race promoter, I'm very excited to uh, take advantage <laughs> of promoters that get to work with DBH. Me too. Me too. All right, guys. I really liked our interview with uh, Derek Bouchard-Hall. Um, we'd like to thank all of our new listeners to the podcast that are uh, listening the first time. We got a sweet review this past uh, week, um, and this one comes to us from The Boulder Running Nerd. I found this podcast while searching for cycling training podcasts and preparations for a century ride. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, editor's note, guys, we might need to change our meta tags from <laughs> training podcast to... <laughs> Expert training advice. Expert yeah, we've talk, bullshitting. We've, we've, we've talked about this, but I'm glad, I don't follow I'm glad racing. The is still working. I don't follow racing. I don't know the background of what these guys are discussing half the time, but I stuck around because they're freaking hilarious. I've listened. It gets better. I've listened to every single episode. Oh God! We're giving them, we're giving them absolutely nothing that they came for, but they're still here. That's amazing. I've listened to absolute, to every single episode, and I've actually learned a lot about bike culture, etiquette, and history in the process. Mm-hmm. It awesome. feels like ch- chilling out with some friends who always crack you up, no matter what they're talking about. Totally recommend. If I ever see these guys, I'll give them all high fives for making my trainer days bearable. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm glad we're uh, not not disappointing you with our advice. You should try to build up to that century. There's some training yeah. advice. Don't don't do just don't go out and do it. I recommend a high quality um, bike fit. You gotta start. You gotta start by using your trainer. The box that your trainer comes in as a desk for a little while before you take it out because you don't want to jump into it too fast, otherwise you could hurt yourself. So, guys, that's kind of scary that people are just randomly finding our podcast and listening to every episode. I mean, that's some dedication because we have some pretty bad episodes. There's uh, yeah, there's a lot to wade through. Uh, well, we certainly anyway. appreciate the uh, monumentous effort there. He's been on the trainer a lot, so I don't know if anybody knows that guy, but if you race against him in, in your area, watch out. Yeah, watch out. Um, a lot of snark could be coming your way. So thanks, Boulder uh, uh, Running Nerd. We also got a really good email from a friend of ours, Derek, who we will read in length next oh, week. Oh, God. Slow, Slow Ride Podcast. We'll read the whole thing? And it's going to be amazing. Special, next week, tune in for a very special two-hour episode of the Slow Ride Podcast. <laughs> and you can find us on Twitter at the Slow Ride Pod. And most importantly, thanks to um, BK1 of Rhyme Series Entertainment for the use of his uh, album, Radio Do Cannibal for our intro and outro songs. And with that, we always want you to wave at all of your fellow cyclists, including those jort wearings nerds that you see on the trail with you. Bid you adieu. The Slow Ride Podcast. Bikes, advice, and rumors straight from the source. TheSlowRidePodcast.com and on Twitter at TheSlowRidePod.
Adam Meyerson gives us a full approval of everything. So, <laughs> well, Adam and I go way back. We've been uh, we've known each other for ages. Uh, but yeah, he's a good guy. He's a he's a hero of American cycling, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, wow. I cannot still doing it. Fortunately, I was not recording right there, so that is never going to be said. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> 